When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Today on In the Trenches, I'm joined by one of my former teammates and former Michigan Wolverine, Julius Curry, who currently is a NASCAR truck racing team owner. He also has some breaking news that he's going to share with us. Can't wait to have that conversation and share it with you here on In the Trenches. Let's go In the Trenches with John Jansen. The former Wolverines captain and Michigan Sports Hall of Famer will take you inside the locker room with players and coaches. Do you have a Lloyd Carr impersonation? You know what? Lloyd, Lloyd. (laughs) (laughs) I know it's right on the tip of your tongue right now. (laughs) Hey, what the hell are you and David doing? What you fighting at practice? You don't fight at practice. Once again, here's John Jansen. Welcome back, friends. We've got a 7 for 77 coming up. We've got Julius Curry coming up. And I tell you what, more importantly, I think we've got we've got one Brian Bush coming up. Mr. Bush, are you there? More importantly, I, I don't know, John. I, I think I'm probably fourth on that three-item list. <laughs> Come on, man. Hey, this is 7 from 77. You are the voice of Michigan basketball. And we're ready to roll. Come on, man. Let's go. How about a little excitement today? I like it. I like it. First things first, man. How you doing? I'm good. I'm really good. It's, uh, hey, we we are one day closer to knowing more about the football season. My expectation is that we're going to have it because I get fired up a little bit more and more every day. But I don't want to spoil the 7 from 77 because uh, some of our questions are going to be regarding the football season and the student athletes that are returning. But before we get there, how are you, my friend? I'm great. Uh, this weather has been phenomenal. 
it has been really nice. It, it's been, I've had a chance to take the kids out fishing. The walleye fishing, for anybody that wants to know, has been terrific. Uh, I dropped my kids in the, in, in the boat uh, the other day and dropped it at the dock. And they sat there, this is, this is no lie, they sat there and had a conversation with a couple of guys that said, hey, is, is, is that, you know, John is, is in the trenches? And my kids sat there for 10 minutes while I was parking the truck and had a conversation about in the trenches uh, at the boat dock down at Lake Erie. So uh, we are, uh, uh, we're hitting all of, the, uh, all of the, the posts that we're supposed to be hitting right now. On land and on water. That's good. I like to hear that. I also enjoyed, uh, of course, Jace Howard, uh, head coach Jawan Howard's son uh, tweeted out something earlier in the week, and I've I've also kind of wondered this, and I've loved this as I've had my first summer here in Ann Arbor. He tweeted, "Why is it 9:20 p.m. and still sunny outside? Anyone else noticing this, or it's just me? I love when it gets late, uh, dark so late. I think my one of my least favorite days of the year." is when we add that extra hour of sleep. It's nice for one day, and then it's dark at 5.30 every day for the next five months. I love that it could be 10 o'clock, and I can let my dog out, and it's still I don't need any extra light. Yeah, uh, just wait till you have kids, because those same kids I was just talking about, last night I said, hey, it's time for bed, and they, and they looked at me and said, Dad, it's still light out. We can't go to bed yet. I'm like, yes, you can. <laughs> yeah, that, that's going to come back to haunt them when you're sending them to bed at six o'clock in the winter time. But I do appreciate them taking advantage of it. Mm-hmm. All right, let's get into today's seven from 77. First things first, of course, the football team slowly starting to trickle back inside Schembechler Hall on campus here in Ann Arbor. I know you haven't had a chance to get back there yet, but from what you've heard, how are things going with that process? I think they're going well. The kids, uh, and, and honestly, the, the biggest adjustment is just going to get to understand and become comfortable with the protocol, whether it's, you know, taking your temperature as you as you go into the building, making sure that you are, as we are doing, whether you're at the grocery store, at Schimbecker Hall, it's no different, right? You've got to keep that social distance. You've got to, you know, keep yourself safe, those around you safe, but you still got to get your work done. And they are finding the best way to coexist right now with the virus and still be able to get some good work in. Um, and and it's that's the exciting part for me is that even though, we are in this 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 scenario that we're in, and it's not ideal, but the kids are making the the best of it. And if there's anything I've known, um, in whether it's raising my own kids or being around the, the student athletes at Michigan, is that they they have this unbelievable ability to adjust to situations and just shrug it off, and they just keep moving forward. Michigan football, men's and women's basketball, they're all doing that right now because they have one goal, and that is to continue to improve as individuals, to continue to improve as a team, as a program, um, and us as an athletic department. So uh, it's it's really encouraging to see what they're doing and how they're doing it uh, at Schembechler Hall. Yeah, and you have to do something extra this this time around to, to have sports in the fall. You got to make sure you're minding your P's and Q's away from Schembechler Hall and with who you interact with, there's no doubt. So number two, John, let's take this back to you as a player. If this pandemic had happened when you were at Michigan or when you were in the NFL, I'm curious, what level of comfort would you have with playing and, and what things as you reflect on playing the game of football, practicing your craft, would, would you have to think about maybe a little bit differently, whether it's a certain drill or a workout or 
you know, interaction with your teammates based on how things stand right now? Uh, me as an individual, and, and again, I, I want to preface this by saying this is my this would be my feeling is that I would have no reservations about going and you know working out, practicing in obviously in a physical sport, football. At some point when they start practice, you know, social distancing is it, you just can't do it. In, in the game of football. So you're going to come in contact with individuals. Can you, can you safeguard some things at times? Sure. But when it comes down to playing the game and I would have no reservations of going out there and, and for a couple of reasons, one, when you're 18 to 22 years old, and, and for me, it went well into my thirties. Heck, I, I still kind of feel that way. You feel like you're invincible. Right. And, and the more that you remove yourself from that time, you find out that maybe some of the things you did at that time were stupid and maybe you shouldn't have been invincible. But it's it's that feeling of invincibility that especially the student athlete, because they are some of the fittest people um, in, in, in the world. And you really feel like you can do anything because you put your mind to it. You work hard and and you set goals and you accomplish things. And all of that mindset goes, for me, would go into, well, you know what? I, I, yes, I, I may have to adjust some things, but I have no reservations of, well, you know, if I get the virus, I get the virus. Um, and, and I feel like I at, at 18 to 22 years old, I would be all right. But again, that plays into that invincibility mindset that you have as as a football player at Michigan. Number three on today's 7 from 77, as we heard from the director of athletics, Ward Manuel, last week, there were only two positive tests on that first wave of individuals tested for COVID-19. Not the case at some other programs, Clemson, LSU, Kansas State, they had spikes, they had outbreaks. Uh, how have those situations changed, if at all, your feelings about the likelihood of college football this season, whether we're talking about just tweaks to it or maybe some substantial issues that we could see? It really hasn't changed my opinion at all. Um, I mean, to, to think that I, I think, you know, whether it's two, whether it's 20, whether it's 30, if, you know, if we all thought that, hey, we're going to test these student athletes, we're going to test the coaches, and nobody is going to turn up positive, that would be 100% foolish. And, you know, it when it's the coaching staff, then you've, you've got to start thinking about, okay, well, who is it? And, you know, how, what is their age? What is their health condition? Do they have under, any underlying health conditions that might put them at risk? The same with the student athletes. There are some student athletes that have overcome some, some underlying health conditions and they continue to, to compete at an extremely high level. Doesn't mean that they don't have those conditions anymore. So you've got to take into account, okay, who is it that's testing positive? Who have they come into contact with? But for me, it, 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 it's kind of par for the course. We expected that they would, you know, have some positive tests. We expected that there would be some that would test positive for the antibodies. And now moving forward, when it's the second or third or fourth time that you're tested and you test positive at that point, then you've got to figure out, okay, well, where could they have possibly come in contact with the virus? And is there a way that we could prevent that moving forward? Some, you know, we all are trying to live our lives and, and, you know, to eliminate the potential risk is, you know, it, it's impossible. 
but it, it it can be mitigated with doing some certain things. So it's about a learning process, uh, but it really hasn't changed my opinion at all as to whether we have college football or not. I still am very optimistic. I do think we have college football. I don't. It's just the length of the season. I don't know that we play non-conference games. I don't know. Maybe we add another Big Ten game uh, on the schedule because we're just going to be playing in conference and we're going to have the same testing protocol throughout the Big Ten, which you know would give me comfort as a player. It would give me comfort if my son or daughter was playing at the University of Michigan, that there was some consistency in testing in, in how they are dealing with the whole coronavirus at all the Big Ten schools. You know, John, what we could do if you really wanted to is we could add a game against Nebraska. <sighs> Only if they find a way to give me one more game of eligibility. <laughs> I will do anything I possibly can to make that a possibility, as long as you allow Scott Frost to dress up too. Please. It's the first time in a while that you've said Scott Frost before I did, so I think we're I think we're starting to trend in the right direction for football. I like it. Football season is right around the corner, and I'm getting fired up more and more by the day. I cannot wait. If we get a chance to play that Washington game, we go out to Seattle and we take, hey, they're going to have a new quarterback. Justin Herbert's not there anymore. They're going to be figuring things out. They talk about having one of the best offensive linemen in the country. We've got some damn good offensive linemen, too. Jalen Mayfield, I'll take him over anybody else in the country. Jacob Eason, not Justin Herbert. At Washington? Oh, you're right. That was Oregon. That's right. I got so excited. You know what? I don't care. Line up anybody. Just let us play football. (laughs) Number four on today's seven from 77. Another big takeaway from that interview with Ward Manuel. Barring some sort of miracle, uh, the big house will will likely not be full in 2020. Uh, How will that affect things on the field, do you think? And can you teach these young men to be able to visualize 110,000 people like you do at 6 a.m. before home games? Oh, yeah. Visualization is a a very important uh, component to performing and uh, being able to visualize the fans, being able to visualize certain plays and certain moments. And as you prepare for a game, that is an important part. But you know, when, when you play spring games, when you play spring football, I know that we didn't have that this year, but these kids have, other than the freshmen, have experienced that before. You're playing in the big house um, and practicing in the big house with nobody there. And so it's not going to be a brand new experience. Yes, game day and playing against somebody else, that will add a new component to the situation. But these kids are... are they have they're they're so single minded in regards to preparing for a game, going out there and executing their one eleventh of what they are supposed to do. Whether it's special teams, offense, defense, that's what they are focused on. And yeah, the crowd it's great, and and we love the alumni, we love the fans, we love the environment that they create. But the kids want to play football, so I I really don't know that it will affect the kids that much. It will affect the home field advantage not having 111,000 people screaming and yelling at the at the opposing team will will have a, a you know you'll lose that aspect of it but I think in regards to how our guys are going to perform I, I they're going to go out there and perform at a championship level speaking of championship levels number five we haven't talked a ton about the grand scheme of the Big Ten on the field, because obviously there have been some bigger issues to discuss on this podcast. But I'm curious, as we stand right now, what we know about these teams, without a whole lot in the way 
of off-season work in person, what would be your top five in this league right now at this point heading into 2020? Oh, you know what? I, I don't want to – I'm going to start at number one so I can get it over with. Until we beat Ohio State, until somebody beats Ohio State in the Big Ten, you have to go into a season and give them the respect that they that they earned, and that is they are the best team right now in the Big Ten. I think number two um, is is probably Penn State. Uh, we lost to Penn State last year. They've got a quarterback returning. They've got a lot of uh, of, of skilled guys returning. Their defense is, is returning. Micah Parsons is one of the best defensive players in the country. Number eleven for for uh, Penn State. Um, you know he's a guy that that people will be talking about in the NFL draft. Very high pick next year, but they have given Ohio State the best competition over the last couple of years. So to me, they're number two. I would put Michigan at number three. Number four for me is going to be Wisconsin. And number five, I think will be a surprise to everybody, but I'm going to go with Minnesota and what P.J. Fleck is doing at Minnesota. I need to see more. I need to see back-to-back years. Um, because they could be a better team and not have as good a record as they had last year. But they what they did last year, Penn State went to Minneapolis. They took care of business. Now they've got to learn to win on the road. They lost to Iowa. They lost to Wisconsin. But they are, they are a team to be reckoned with. So I'm going to go Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Minnesota. Yeah, that Wisconsin-Minnesota game early this season. Obviously, if we play the schedule as is, That would be October 10th, and the next week, Michigan goes up to Minneapolis to take on the Gophers. Interesting stretch for them. Number six, John, the MLB season is set. 60 games, it's a sprint. Scale of 1 to 10, how excited are you for baseball come late July? Oh, I'm about a 5. And and it's really, I'm, I'm always excited for baseball season. And for me, baseball is best heard on the radio. Uh, because it's just kind of the soundtrack of summer. Um, and no matter what you're doing, I, I love turning on Tiger baseball. I love having it in the background. You hear the crack of the bat. You hear the crowd mumbling a little bit. You hear the popcorn guy, The you know somebody you know selling a couple of uh, uh, Bud Lights, whatever it is. You hear that soundtrack, and it just gives you a that, that warm, fuzzy feeling. But with the labor disagreement that they had, whether it was owners, whether it was players, I don't care with so many people right now in with unemployment, so many people struggling to pay their mortgage, pay their bills, find a place to live, to have that play out in the media the way it did. It just, it rubbed me the wrong way. And so I'm, I, I'm excited because I want to hear the soundtrack of summer, but I've, I, they've turned me off a little bit. Can't blame me on that. I'm, I'm with you. Number seven on today's seven from 77. Obviously, it's been quite the last week plus within NASCAR. Julius Curry about to join us. What are some of your takeaways, not just from that conversation, but, but how Julius has transformed himself from his playing days now into a different role within sports? Well, the the one the couple of things I took away from the conversation with Julius that we'll hear in just a minute is um, the concept of team. And you hear NASCAR teams, that, and that's that's for a reason. Um, and just the, the lessons that he learned about being a part of a team, whether it was as a freshman in 98, as a senior in 2002, as your roles continue to grow, he's used a lot of those lessons in the NASCAR side of things. And he got into NASCAR through a diversity program, and 
it's really interesting to hear now that he is in NASCAR and he's trying to expand you know, his role, whether it's owning a team, owning a number, owning a car, he's trying to continue to expand that and create more opportunities for everybody. And it doesn't matter the race. It doesn't matter the gender. He just wants more diversity. So he got into it through a diversity program. He's doing a lot of things to promote diversity in NASCAR. Um, so I'm excited to uh, for everybody else to be get a chance to hear the conversation that I had with Julius Curry. And I hope that everyone enjoys it as much as I did. I've got a special guest today here, a former teammate of mine. He was a youngster when I was uh, in my fifth year, but uh, Julius Curry has joined us here today. Defensive back, defensive extraordinaire, um, as well as uh, punt return specialist. So, uh, Julius, uh, thanks for joining us today. How you doing, my, my friend? Hey, John. How you doing? Thanks for having me on here today. Uh, it's great to hear your voice. It's great to talk to you. And uh, I just want to uh, I want to take some time and go back to the time that you played at Michigan, to your time with the Detroit Lions, talk a little bit about your football career, and then let all, all of our fans know what you're doing now because you've got some very interesting stuff going on that I don't think a lot of people know that you're into. So uh, that's just a little teaser for what's to come. But when you think back to your time at Michigan, first of all, why did you choose Michigan? Man, wow. I actually chose Michigan uh, as a sophomore in high school before I, I was even a junior, and I committed to, I made a verbal commitment to, to the University of Michigan when you guys were, you were, were a junior, uh, actually a sophomore. And, um, and I saw that, you know, Michigan was, was a team to, that was on a, on a rise at the time before you guys won a national championship. And I wanted to be a part of that, you know, and, um, and, and I wanted to be a part of the tradition of the University of Michigan, being that they were, at the time, you know, the leaders and best. And, you know, when I was in high school. So now, you know, once I got to Michigan, it was like I had a lot of shoes to fill up to. Uh, we had a guy named Jesse ja- Jesse Johnson that was from my high school that went to Michigan. And he was like kind of influential. He, he made a play with Jesse. Um, mm-hmm. And he, he made me, you know, he, he encouraged me to, to come to Michigan and, 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 and take a shot at going, you know, taking it to the Big Ten versus going out to Florida or Miami. And so that kind of made me get made me want to come there. And then once I got to Michigan, it was like coming to a place where we were the number one recruiting class in the nation. You guys were the returning national championship team, and the leadership was just was just amazing. You know, we had the Tom Brady, Drew Henson, you know, duo going at it. We had the David Terrell, uh, Ty Street, you mm-hmm. know, fighting for position. We had the freshman guys that were, you know, redshirt freshmen and redshirt and freshman guys that were fighting for offensive linemen, defensive linemen, you know, opportunities. And it was just the, the place to be and the team to be on if you wanted to be the best. And that's kind of what I looked at it in high school. And then once I got there, I saw that it was real. And when, when 
Bo Schembechler was here when 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 Schembechler Hall was built. Um, Coach Moeller, Coach Carr, they all did the same thing. Where as freshmen, you came in and you were in the freshman locker room. You had to spend a year right. there with the class that you came in with. Right. And, I, and I know that that ninety eight class, ninety nine class that you came in with has remained close. When you think about those right. times in that that first year in the freshman locker room, what type of memories do you have? And and you know, and, and just again, you know, what, what, what does it mean to be a part of that 99 class? Wow, man. Um, that being, coming in as a freshman with David Terrell, Marquise Walker, Benny Joplu, Scott Panique, Dave Prezzello, those guys were, were, were guys that were not the normal freshmen. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Kato June, we were the guys that came in kind of almost prepared, ready to play. All we needed to do was get an opportunity to learn the playbook, you know. And a lot of us, a lot of us did play, and I wanted to get redshirted. But being in that locker room was Evan Coleman as well. Being in that locker room was 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 a great experience. But what it also taught us is it taught us to work together because we weren't allowed to come in the in the in, the, in the, the seniors locker room or sophomore junior senior locker room. It made us a lot closer. And I remember times where, you know, guys like David Terrell got taped up. And we had to go save him and bring him back into our locker room. And then there were times that we kind of caught a guy named Grady Brooks. I mean, yeah, uh, and we tied him up and threw him in the varsity locker room, you know, another <laughs> locker room. And and we took that and we said, you know, we're going to have each other back. And then we knew we were going to have to deal with you guys after practice. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, But it was a great experience because it taught us to stay together. You know what I mean? And it taught us to, to push each other. And then afterwards, we can laugh about it. You know, and we're and, and, and come game day, we're ready to win and fight as a team. And I think that more importantly, that was what we were really trying to do was show that we were freshmen, that we weren't scared to play, and that we weren't scared of anybody. And then also show them that look at practice, we can also play. And then fast forward, because uh, there's some other moments that I want to talk about during your career at Michigan. But fast forward to your senior year, and right. and you are still playing with and. The one thing that we know at Michigan and, and really anywhere in college football is that not everybody that commits in a class is going to be there as a senior. Some guys transfer, right. some guys drop off because it's right. hard, right? And it's not for everybody. And it doesn't mean there's anything right. wrong with that, but it's different. Right. It's a different group of guys when you get to a senior. Same group, just a little bit right. smaller. How tight were you right. guys your senior year? Wow. You know, by the time we got to become seniors, uh, we did lose David Terrell. We did lose my uh, – uh, Drew Henson, they left early. Um, but what we did still have, we had leadership. You know, we had guys like Jonathan Goodwin, who who stepped up as a big leader, Victor Hobson, um, who turned out to be a, a captain and a great guy and a great leader on the team. And our team got really close, man. And honestly, we learned from you guys. With Tom coming back in the fourth year and fifth year, he kind of led us to that, you know, the guys who stay here, you guys are going to be the leaders and you guys are going to be the future. And the guys that took the opportunity to go to the next level, you know, we respect what they had to do for whatever reason that they chose to do it for. And we respect that, but we also knew that we had to come back and defend the Big Ten Championship. You know, and that was our, that was our main focus. And we did a great job at it. Um, I think we got, out of five years that I was there, I think we got two Big Ten Championships, a tie, and we won four bowl games. So to me, I felt like, you know, as a senior to go out winning the bowl game, and and leaving our legacy, I think we did a great job. So I want to go back to a couple of those moments that I teased earlier. 
and it's the 2000 <laughs> Ohio State game. The right. Buckeyes are driving, and all of a sudden, Julius Curry steps in front of a ball, picks off a pass, runs it 50 yards for a touchdown. <laughs> How many times do you play that play in your head? Man, it, it was crazy because um, all that week, we watched a lot of film. You know how Coach Herman was. Coach Herman was a visualizer. was a guy that would tell you to visualize making a play. Mm-hmm. And Lloyd would say before the game, close your eyes and visualize what you're going to do. And so third and eight, third and 12, third and 10, they would do curl routes. And I told Todd Howard, we were in cover four. I said, look, I'm jumping the curl. They run it. And just stay deep, stay behind me. Because if I miss it, that he's going to, you know, it's going to be open. And I told Kato, stay play over top. You know, on the other side of cover four, if I jump it, you got you got a chance to make it on the tight end if he comes across. But watch my back because I'm taking it to the house. And so it was kind of like already kind of predicted, you know, before the game even came because you know how this practice was harder than game day sometimes, you know. Mm-hmm. And Ohio State was one of those kind of games where it was like it wasn't as hard, it wasn't as easy, <laughs> you know, uh, as, as practice. But we watched a lot of film, and our coach called the best, a great defense, and we, we planned it all right. And I took it to the house, man, and everybody was going crazy because it was like, dude, you said it just like it ha- it was going to happen. And I think a lot of times if we, if we continue to watch film and teach the young guys, you got to work together out there. Sometimes the coaches put you in the position to make the play, but you ultimately got to make the play. And you nailed it right there. And and you said something that I've said before on this. And when, when you played for Coach Carr, practices were hard, right? And and oh, I yeah. know that today's today's football is a little bit different because there's much more knowledge about, you know, how to train the right way and, and to make sure that you're fresh for game day. And there's, there's a lot right. more knowledge in regards to head injuries uh, and just injuries right. in general. But, you know, back 20 years ago, that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday practices—they were hard, but it made the oh, games yeah. easy. How? Yeah. How have you used that preparation to help you, whether it was with the Detroit Lions or right. in your life now, to you know for success? Right. You know what's so crazy about my my career? Um, once I left Michigan, I, uh, my my last two years in Michigan, my fourth year and fifth year. I missed a total of 12 games because I had injury. I had a shoulder injury. Then I came back and I had a torn NCL injury. So, you know, what it taught me was once I got to Detroit, I wound up getting picked up after the draft by the Bears. And then I got traded to the, to the, to the Detroit Lions after preseason. And so once I got to Detroit, it was kind of like I was the practice squad guy. I was the guy that was out there doing kind of what I did at Michigan when you were, when you were a senior on, uh, at, on a freshman uh, when I was playing Randall L for the defense because we guys didn't have, we didn't have a quarterback that can kind of do what Randall L did. And I stepped up, you know, and to me, what Michigan taught me was team, you know, and even though it was pro, it still taught me team, even though it was more about business, you know what I mean? And so I was able to transfer the team aspect to the lions, being a guy that was on the practice squad and trying to bring my best every day to practice, to get the guys like Drake Bly, to get the guys like Joey Harrington, the opportunity and uh, to get a good look so that we can, we can play on Sundays and hopefully win some games. And from what we did uh, at, at Detroit and how it did transfer, if you look at the numbers back in the day, we were the number two defense in the NFL when I was playing for the Lions. Even though I wasn't starting, I wasn't playing much, I played four active games where I, where I played that my, freshman, my rookie year, but I felt like I helped make that team better. You know, And that's what, that's what Michigan needs right now 
And, you know, it's, it's the younger guys to step up to the plate and say, you know, we're not going to wait till the senior year to be to make an impact. We're going to come in as freshmen and make an impact. Or we're going to come in as transfers and make an impact this year. You don't have to wait next year to make that impact. You come in with the attitude that you want to win for Michigan and that you're going to do whatever it takes to get there. I've got Julius Curry today here on In the Trenches. Uh, and Julius, you mentioned that you had committed your sophomore year. There's a lot right. of buildup. I, I was kind of the same way. Like I, I had always – Throughout my high school career, I wanted to go to Michigan, right? And there's this build-up. Right. When you get a chance, you start to get recruited, and you go there as a recruit, and you see right. the games, and, and you build up this moment in your mind when you get a chance to run through the tunnel. Right. When you ran through the tunnel the first time, did it live up to the dreams that you had as a high school athlete? It sure did, um, John. Um, I mean, just being able to come out to that, to that game that day, and, and I still remember it was like 112,000 people. And I think we kind of broke the record that game for the amount of people that played. I mean, that fans that came to the game that day. And it was like when I ran out the tunnel, it felt like a, a lot of my energy just kind of like get swallowed up. Like, like <laughs> oh, man, you know, like, yes. like you, you ran out the tunnel and you don't got no energy now. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So it, it was it was kind of a weird, weird, you know, weird feeling. One, seeing that many fans, you know, Cheering and and two, seeing the guys on the other side of the field that we had to play that day. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So, and that was that was what you know what was kind of like crazy. It was like okay, are we we got Donovan McNabb and we got you know the Notre Dame game. You know, I think it was the first home game was was Syracuse. Yep. And so we wound up losing that game, but it was one of our toughest games. We wound up, we wound up going ten and two that year, and we won the rest of the season, but. It was a, it was a, it was a very, very intense feeling of like what's going to happen today, you know. And we wound up taking the loss that day, but we learned from it, and we wound up winning out the season. And you know, we 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 we, we almost I think we tied that year for Big Ten championship. We did, we did. Yeah, um, and it, mm-hmm. it ended up that was my only loss to uh, yeah those dirty dogs down south. Uh, but, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, we, yeah. We, we won't bring up that it, game. Uh, too often. You always seem to have that knack when it was a big game because we already talked about the interception return Mm -hmm. for a touchdown against the Buckeyes. Mm -hmm. Uh, A a year later in the Citrus Bowl, you guys are playing Auburn, right? And I remember watching this game because I wasn't on the team anymore. I've been gone about, uh, I think it was about two years at that point. Yeah. But what was it about the big games that just, I mean, it just, it seemed like Julius Curry was a name that we heard in big games. Cause again, you had another interception as Auburn was driving right. uh, game was mm-hmm. tied 14 all. And that's the play mm-hmm. that, that turned the tide. Right, man. And honestly, what, 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 what kind of drive me, drove me around that time was Lloyd Carr was asking me, you know, before the bowl game, he said, are you, what, what kind of legacy are you going to, are you going to leave? You know, before those big games, what, what are you going to leave on the field? And what are you going? What are you going to be remembered by? You know, and the expectation is for the position. So if you don't make those extra plays, if you don't make those fantastic one-hand catches like Dave and Marquise would make, and those big blocks that Goody and you guys were making, so the train can get through there and get and score. You know, those those are the things that I that I thought about, and I was like, you know what? Who's going to make that play? And I wanted to be that guy. You know. And just like, you know, just like you, if it was fourth and one, you like, I want to be the guy that makes your A-train get this first down. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think we all kind of had that attitude on, 
I want to make the play, and I'm going to make the block, and I'm going to make the sack. And it was just the way we were, and this is how we practiced, and it's how we played. You know, and I think that that's what, you know, that's what leaders do. And I think that, you know, I was just one of the leaders at the time. You know, um, you guys, your class, Steve Hutchinson, uh, Jeff Backett, uh, you, Goody, Mo. I mean, you guys were, like, true leaders. Like, you didn't have to say, all right, John, get in the front. John was in the front pushing us. <laughs> and it was like, John, slow down. Dang, man, we're just trying to, you know, <laughs> we're trying to get to done with the run, but you're right there, you know. And, and it was like, you pushed us and we pushed you. And I think that once you guys left, it was like we had to live up to being the junior, to being the senior, to being the fifth-year senior, you know. And we knew how to do it because we had leaders that did it before us. I still feel like I can run with the defensive backs. Man, I think you can. And <laughs> 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 you definitely can beat me now. <laughs> so, hey. I'll try to run long distance. <laughs> I, and, and, you know, you mentioned it too, right? We, we both played for Lloyd Carr. What did he mean right. to you when you were at Michigan? And, and before it's over, I know that this will probably come out, right. but do you have a Lloyd Carr impersonation? You know what? Lloyd, Lloyd. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's right on the tip of your tongue right now. <laughs> hey, Chris, what the hell are you and David doing? What you fighting at practice? You don't fight at practice. What are you doing? It's those people here. It's all this stuff here. You know, it, it was like <laughs> me and David would fight at practice and <laughs> get kicked out. Right? Almost every year doing spring ball. And that was kind of his thing, like, you know, what the heck were you doing? You know, what were you thinking? And a lot of us did have those moments at practice, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. where we kind of lost our temper and and Lloyd and came to us and just gave us that kind of kick in the butt or grab your face mask and tell you to go in. You know what I mean? And and, and, and all it was was just, just Lloyd showing his love because he didn't want ultimately at the end of the day one of us hurting each other. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? I still remember one practice where I think we knocked out like three tight ends you know, we knocked out Tooman, we knocked out Campbell, and then we knocked out Seymour, you know, in one practice, and then we had to wear the shells after that. And it was like, ultimately, what we were trying to do was show them that we are, we're not soft. You know what I mean? That we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna play, and we're going to play hard, but also at the same time, we were hurting our players. And so Lloyd saw that and was like, these guys are good enough, you know, to, to not have to play to hurt each other, but to play to win. And then, you know, and that kind of made me play a little bit different because instead of going for the big hits, I want to go for the pick. Well, I want to go for the strip and take the ball away. So we practiced it a little bit different versus how we were when coming in straight up trying to knock people's heads off, which ultimately would cause more concussions and things like that, which is what we're dealing with now. Uh, I got Again, I got Julius Curry. Uh, played at Michigan from 1998 as a redshirt freshman to the year of 2002. Played with the Detroit Lions for a little bit. Had a, a how long did you play in the NFL? Well, I played uh, two years with the Lions and two years with the Packers. I started off with the Bears my rookie year. I got picked up after the draft because I got hurt and I had shoulder surgery and knee surgery and uh, tore my NCL. So I dropped drastically in the draft. Uh, didn't wind up getting picked up, but then uh, didn't, didn't wind up getting drafted. But got picked up, you know, after the end of the draft and, and, and worked my way back to the to the Packers and and, and finished up there. So you finish up with the Green Bay Packers. You made your yeah. you made your way around the NFC North, um, right? Uh, and and then all of a sudden, like you get into NASCAR because yeah. you own one of the NASCAR truck teams. Now, how did how what drew you to NASCAR? How does Julius Curry get into that? 
Right. Well, growing up, man, my dad, my dad was uh, worked on cars, and my uncle's race cars uh, in Detroit. And so it was something that my dad and I always wanted to do. My dad wanted to be a, a race car driver, but he couldn't um, put enough time into going out of the state in North Carolina, going to school and all that stuff. So he was a body man and he was a fabricator. And so my uncle Tim, who was my mom's brother, he was a, he was a race, he was a, a race car, street race car driver, but he was also a, a former, a former police officer in Detroit. And so he was, he would used to race against Penske and those guys growing up. And I would be at the races, you know, at 12 o'clock at night with my dad, you know, while my mom's at work and trying to be out there, you know, hanging up and trying to be a, be a race car driver. And so that's kind of how I got involved. But once I got out of the NFL and actually before I got out of the NFL, I have, I, have, I studied sports management, marketing, and communication at University of Michigan. And the sport that we were studying was NASCAR. And so they were like, well, how would I change the sport? How would I make it more diverse? Those are the kind of homework assignments I would have. And so I took an interest in this racing because I love cars from being from Detroit. And I was like, you know, I want to own a team. And so in 2005, uh, I was still playing ball for the Packers and I was working on what am I going to do life after football? If I get hurt again, I wasn't a guy that got paid a lot of money. Um, I didn't have a big contract. And I was like, what can I do with my degree once I get done? and transition and use the skills that I used in football to get me into something else. And racing was that transition. You know, just like we have, you know, uh, we have offensive linemen and defensive linemen in football, we have pit crew in racing. We have driver, which is represents the quarterback. We got rear tire changer, front tire changer, which represents the receivers. Linebackers usually are like pit, are, uh, are usually jack men and gas men. So it's kind of something that I could transition people into and myself life after football. So that's kind of what got me into racing. And then once I had an opportunity that a team came up, the number eight truck team came up and it was a diversity program at NASCAR. And I got in, that was my end. I was like, you know what? I want to figure out how to get in and how to stay in. And not only that, how can I help NASCAR become more diverse, create better opportunities for inner city kids and people that aren't going to college at the time? How can I help them get into something that I always wanted to get into even though I was a football player. So, and you bring up, um, and this is an easy transition for us, the diversity in NASCAR. It, you got in through a diversity program. Since you've been in NASCAR, and now that you own your own team, are there mm-hmm. certain things that are you're, you're doing to help, um, you know, create that diversity in NASCAR? Yes. Yes. Well, um, just want to give you an example. Last year, I was um, – in 2018, I had my race team. In 2019, I ran a truck series, and I finished 26 in points at the end of the season. That's where I finished that. Um, it was it was a place where I wanted to get in just to get back into the sport because I was just doing more like sponsorship development, sending sponsors to other drivers that I know needed help. Um, and that's kind of what I was doing the last like 10 years. And then I was also doing research and development for mental health and wellness. Um, and so those are the kind of things I was getting involved in. But once I got back into racing in the truck series in 2018, my goal was to make it to IMSA. IMSA is International Motorsports Association, which is also owned by NASCAR. But what it is, is they bought IMSA, came in and partnered with NASCAR four years ago to create an opportunity where NASCAR uh, supplies some of their resources and IMSA coming from, from, from Europe, coming here and partnering up with them. And so I wanted to get involved in that, meaning Lamborghini, Ferrari, Audi, Alfa Romeo, those brands that are not typically NASCAR brands, 
I wanted to get behind them and help promote diversity in market. So now it's not so more of diversity in race now. It's more diversity in market and, oper- and, uh, and, and offering opportunities for men, women of all color to get into the sport. So it's more of a humanitarian and a huma- and human- humanitarian thing than it is a race thing, you know, with me. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. And I'm like, you know, all humans need to have the right and opportunity to get into motorsports. But ultimately, I am black. I am black. And I am trying to help more people of color to get into the sport and learn something that they're not usually involved in. Have you seen the fruits of your labor? Is is, is it happening? You know what? I have. I have. I, I was working with Florida Atlantic University last year, um, and I've been a uh, male initiative program, male initiative program, where I met with students and I brought engineers to different uh, partners' garages. So I took them to one garage. Um, me racing out of Boca Raton and I took about 12 engineers there and I talked to them about job training and job placement. Some of those guys got uh, became interns and some of them actually got jobs working for race teams. So those are the kind of opportunities that I'm trying to offer college students and not only college students but vocational guys, vocational training opportunities where guys can come in who don't go to college and have the same opportunity. When you look at what has gone on over the past four to six weeks um, after, you know, in the reaction to the murder of George Floyd, um, we've seen NASCAR make some steps, uh, take some steps. They obviously uh, are getting rid of their Confederate flag. Um, they're, they're doing some different things. Is this, I don't want to say an opportunity, um, mm-hmm. but is it an opportunity to further diversity in NASCAR and not just in NASCAR, yeah. but in all of professional yeah, sports or motorsports in general? Right. Yes. I think it's, I think right now is a, is a great opportunity. Um, it's definitely, that's, it's definitely, uh, this George Floyd situation has definitely, and definitely has definitely brought the, the, a lot of stuff to the forefront, especially when dealing with race and motorsports and particularly NASCAR. Um, NASCAR definitely, um, there is making some changes because one, they have to, mm-hmm. and two, they have been trying, but I don't think that leadership um, that was in place has really reached out to the guys that are involved and that's been spending their own money and supporting the teams that, you know, that, that have put their own money up. And that's what I think that we, we need to work on now. Uh, being a, a, a NASCAR owner and being a NASCAR driver, two different types of, type of, type of opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I'm really trying to promote is diversity and ownership, mm-hmm. um, owning the team and hiring pit crew versus like, you know, if you play for the Detroit Lions, I want to be Mr. Ford. I don't mm-hmm. want to just be the players. I don't want to be just, just Joey Harrington, Dre Block. I was that guy in college. I was that guy in the pros. Now I want to be the guy owning the team, creating job opportunities and training. And then retiring for something that I helped create it. So I want to see more diversity in ownership, whether it's men, women, um, uh, African-American, people of color. But not only that, women who are white, you know what I'm saying, that want the opportunity to own a team. So it's not really so much about, you know, just being black. It's about just being able to diversify the sport and create opportunities no matter who you are. When you look... um... At, at what you're doing. And, and actually, I, I wanted to get into uh, some news that you have in regards to, you had said, hey, your goal was to get into IMSA. Is is that becoming right. a reality? 
Yes, it is. Uh, but I actually just got uh, contacted from IMSA and, and uh, about uh, getting a number. And I was like, I mean, when you when you try to get a number, you got to submit a couple offers and say, well, do you guys have this number and that number? So the numbers that I did submit for were 26, my college number, and 44, which is my Detroit number, Detroit Lions number. And so right now, that's kind of where we are in the process. I'm uh, looking at race cars right now. And then next week, I'll reveal what series we're going to be in. And so, so that's going to be like something that I'm, I can't wait to, to, to tell everybody. And you get, you're definitely going to be one of the first guys I call. Well, I, I appreciate that. I can't wait to hear um, what that's going to be. But um, I, I think our fans, you know, there's a lot of, uh, of, of carryover in fans between football fans and NASCAR mm-hmm. fans. And I right. think I would like to know, um, as our fans would as well, what is it like to own a NASCAR, you know, team? I mean, what, what is involved? Man. Because it, from what I know, and I, I got to know Joe Gibbs a little bit when he was my coach uh, with the Washington Redskins. So I know a little okay. bit, but probably enough just to really get myself in trouble. But the right. research and development, the, right. I mean, it's just, tell us all the, the, the facets involved of owning a NASCAR team. Man, the first thing is, is getting a number. Um, a lot of people think that when you get into NASCAR, uh, when you sponsor a team, you own the team. Uh, when you sponsor a team, you own the real estate on the car for whatever, if it's one year, one race, or three years, however long that contract is. Then there's a different type of ownership with actually owning the race car. And then you have the person who owns the number. So those are the three types of ownership in racing, in NASCAR in particular. Mm-hmm. So what I owned was the truck. I didn't own the number 33. I owned the truck in truck series which is what I wanted to be known for in trucks. I wanted to be able to say, I come in there on a truck and, you know, um, the guy who I was partnering up with, Josh Rayon, he was actually the owner of the number. So I subcontracted work out for him and he was a driver, owner. And then after the fourth race, the number transferred over to me because that's what we agreed to, you know, and so because I wanted to be a, the number owner and the truck owner. And it's hard to get a number. And that's one thing about NASCAR teams. NASCAR teams won't give up that the numbers. So they'll rent them out, they'll lease them out. But to actually be like, I own this number and it's mine, that's kind of where you want to be if you are a minority getting into the sport. Uh And you have that opportunity with EMSA. Yes. So I'll I'll own the number and then I'm looking to buy the car. You know, and so that's what I'm working on right now is, you know, owning everything. You know, not just leasing out a car for a race or leasing out haulers or leasing out stuff like that, which you can do that because some companies lease and so they can, uh, you know, afford to buy them all. Because, you know, when you first start a business, the first thing is it is a little bit easier to lease everything. But after a while, you want to own stuff because then that now keeps money in your pocket. And so that's what, we're, that's what I'm trying to show the transition from just starting off and saying, okay, I want to start a team. How do I get a number? You contact NASCAR or you contact IMSA, see what numbers are available. Then because IMSA is a new, new series that they're bringing to the United States, which is four years ago, there are numbers available in different series. So there are like five different new series, five different series in them. So, and so it's easier to get in that versus is NASCAR, which a lot of those families are passing those numbers down to their children. Mm-hmm. And so that's, you know, that's just like the NFL. It's Bill Ford passed his son steps in or his mom steps in or his brother steps in as owner of the, of the, of the team. And so that's, that's what, we, and, and, and if you're coming from the NBA, or the NFL, or professional baseball, you can now be an owner. You know, you can be an owner. You don't have to just be the athlete. You know, that's kind of what I'm kind of, tr- you know, marketing toward the guys that are retired, that want to get in something new, and they want to own it. You know, 
and that's what you know. That's the sport that allow us to own it. So where where are the headquarters of Julius Curry uh, Racing? Both, uh, right now it's in Detroit. Um, I've been looking at. I I, I have an office, but I also um, I also looking for. I'm also looking for a shop here so that I got a physical location where guys can come in and take pictures with the race car um, and stuff like that. But when I had the the trucks here, it was in Mooresville, which is where all the workers were. Mm-hmm. So I bought an existing, you know, a, a, a truck, but the team that I was working with was taking care of the truck in Mooresville. So it wasn't in Detroit. I want to have a presence in where I'm from in Detroit so people can be more inspired and see it. You know, and then, you know, in Mooresville, they see it every day. But in Detroit, you don't. So I want to be more of a presence and bring in the NASC, the, uh, the, the, the MSA cars here. And um, I will kind of give you a sneak on what, what, what series. I mean, it's going to be the Lamborghini Super Trofeo series. So we'll okay. be racing Lambos, you know. So for, to go from trucks and NASCAR to Lambos and IMSA is a is a big jump, and I'm think I'm ready for the challenge. I, I, I'm sure you are. I have no doubt. I have all the faith in the world that you are. And um, how big is Julius Curry Racing right now? How many employee? How many people do you employ? Um, and you know what is what's the end goal? Well, right now, uh, what I what I'm going to be doing is I'm working with a couple of other teams that. One team is they, they have two cars to sell, so I got to meet with them. And what they what they also offer with me buying the cars is trackside service. So that means that they'll help me with my staff, my my the uh, the staff on the, the pit crew uh-huh. and hiring the crew chief and all that. So I do have help, and that's one thing about racing. When you get into the sport, they kind of got almost a turnkey operations where you can subcontract out the work until you go through and filter out who you still want to keep, almost like football, you know with your new owner and you, or your, if you're a new coach and you go to a team, well, I like these guys, but I, I think this guy over here may be better. I think this guy over here may be better and, you know, and we'll add add and subtract as, we, as needed. But sometimes in racing, a lot of it's kind of a turnkey situation if you're working with the team that you're buying equipment from. So that's kind of where I, where I am now. When I work my, when I own my truck team, I, I, I partnered up with my driver and he, had, and he came with a crew. So I just had to pay my crew. Mm-hmm. You know, and so all that came out of my expenses didn't come out of his. So everything that I'm I'm hearing you say is that you know whether you're you're leasing whether you're owning, as you get into the sport, your team is is so important to you. The lessons yes. that you learned at Michigan about being a team, being a team member, whether it was you know hey as a freshman this is what you got to do to earn your right, right. this is what you got to do as mm-hmm. a senior. How have you lo- used those lessons? Uh, to help your team at Julius Curry Racing. Well, honestly, just um, just just letting them know that look, first and foremost, when we work, we we work together. We we work as a unit, and we're we are a team. So, like just like the Block M, the JC, that logo, you know, no one's bigger than that. You know what I mean? Even myself. Like if if, if I'm not living up to it, guess what? Who I got to answer to? I got to answer to my son, who I'm passing it down to. You know, and he's like, Dad, what do you you know? You got to make sure that things are in place so if something happens to you that, you know, the business can continue to run. And so it's just like Michigan, you know, it's like you want guys to come in and every year you want them to get better and better. And you want the leadership to lead back the tradition and the work ethic that it takes for you to be successful. And that's what I'm doing with my team. You know, um, the main thing about it, uh, what I'm trying to focus on now is getting sponsors on board and having other people that are affiliated with the University of Michigan. And not only that, guys who own their own companies now that are looking for opportunities to promote their services or products. 
So I am looking for sponsors right now, and I'm looking for partners right now that are looking to, to get into the sport. And not only that, get their name out there in something that is so big, which is a NASCAR partnership. Well, we might see if we can get a little in the trenches sticker uh, on, oh, on, man, on the tailpipe. Awesome. <laughs> right, that'll be awesome. <laughs> I, I, we, we can work something out better than that. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it, man. Well, hey, All Julius, right, I, I, I want to say thank you for your time uh, and yeah, best you. of luck. Uh, I can't wait to hear the development of what number you get and the, and the race right. team as you continue to grow. So, uh, But thanks for All your right, time John. today. All right, thanks so much, and thank and, and um, hopefully I'll be talking to you within the next week to let you know and uh, make an official announcement on what the car is going to look like and 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 how it's going to be uh, wrapped. Well, stay tuned here on In the Trenches because we will make sure as I get that update, we will let you, uh, the Michigan fans, know what uh, what's going on with Julius Curry. Julius, thank you, sir. Thank you, John. You have it. Take it easy. Well, I want to thank Julius for, for stopping by today and giving us his time. And uh, as I mentioned at the end there, we will make sure to keep you updated when Julius tells me what number he's going with and the advancements or the, the opportunities that he has in the, next, in the coming weeks um, in regards to what's going on with Julius Curry Racing. We will make sure to let you know as well. We've got a lot of great stuff coming up uh, in the coming weeks, so stay tuned here on In the Trenches. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of In the Trenches with John Jansen. The preceding has been a Learfield IMG College presentation of the Michigan Sports Network. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on the driver who treats the highway like a racetrack and the shoulder like a passing lane. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates Northbrook, Illinois.